At bestvolleyballvideos.com, we have over 150 hours of training videos developed specifically for the youth and high school age volleyball player. Please go to bestvolleyballvideos.com. Hello, everybody. Today will be the first podcast in a series of podcasts titled The Purpose of Practice. In this first podcast, we're going to cover the acquisition of skill, and we're going to talk about Ted St. Martin and Kyle Berkshire. First thing I want to do is I want to talk about the four T's that surround um, youth volleyball and most youth models in the youth sports development model. And the first one is teaching. And teaching is the basic fundamentals in a repetitive manner until a foundation of technical competency is mastered. I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. The next step would be training. And training would be, to me, a systematic and organized methodology where skills are taught to be executed in the same manner that they're executed in competition. And then by doing this, I think each skill and a combination of skills can be linked together until they consistently are repeated in an ever-increasing level of difficulty at a higher and higher level. The third T is tournaments and competition. And I'm gonna, we'll eventually get to that, but the tournaments are the lifeblood of the American youth sports system where teams... They seem to favor competition over training, and uh, the individual development of a player comes usually second to the development of a team. And I think we've I've talked about this in the past in other podcasts, but um, I'm going to dedicate a podcast to that. Well, two is later, uh, but it remains to me. We have a coach here from Japan who coaches with us, and he talked about when he was when we had uh, getting ready for our season, we had teams come in and start practice. We told him we had a tournament in like two or three weeks, and he was kind of shocked because he said when he started playing volleyball in Japan, he practiced two years before they played their first game. And so this idea of playing as much or more than you practice is – it's kind of an American phenomenon. It's not something that's, that's practiced around the world. We're going to get into that more as well. And then finally, um, we're going to have a podcast. We're going to talk about travel. And, you know, when I, I come to travel because it, it's one of the foundations that we have in our sport, but I think it's a foundation in a lot of the sports. And um, to me, this is one area that probably costs parents the most money and provides the least return in actual improvements of their sons and daughters. And uh, I'll talk more about that in a later podcast. But in that po- this podcast, I want to address the acquiring and developing of skills for the young volleyball athlete who's just started to play the sport. And I'm not talking about the experienced player. I'm not talking about the elite level player. I'm talking about somebody who just started to play the sport and wants to learn the fundamental skills of volleyball. And so I'm going to try to share some thoughts and ideas on that. And then uh, you guys, obviously, one of the things I say a lot is you can make up your mind on what you what you like and what you don't like. But uh, I want to try to give you my side of this issue and we'll kind of see where it goes from there. But I think one of the things that we hear about, and I guess one of the questions I have is, does the game teach the game? And uh, I think we look at uh, two sides. And, you know, from, from one point of view, I want to talk about Ted St. Martin. And probably you guys have probably never heard of Ted St. Martin, but Ted St. Martin is in the Guinness Book of World Record for making the most consecutive free throws. And he made 5,221 consecutive free throws. And this is a gentleman who didn't play in the NBA. He didn't play in college. He wasn't a high school basketball star but he became the best free throw shooter in the world. And I'm going to try to show you how this ties into volleyball a little bit later. And then there's a guy named Kyle Berkshire. And Kyle Berkshire is a golfer, drives a golf ball over 500 yards, hits it over 233 miles per hour, 
but has never won a PGA tournament. And probably most of you guys, even if you if you know golf, have probably never heard of Kyle Berkshire. So one of the things that I want to try to address is, you know, what does six on six in volleyball provide to a young player and what doesn't it provide? And because this podcast is geared around the, the introduction and the development of fundamental skills, um, I want to kind of focus in that area because I think we get in a hurry to play. Uh, as a culture, we love to play, but we get in a hurry to play and it's driven by a lot of things. It's driven by events. It's driven by people need to make money. It's driven by parents wanting to watch their kids get out there and play as opposed to just practice. But I want to kind of dive into these and kind of address some of these issues as well. And, you know, we talked about what does six on six provide? Uh, it provides an avenue where servers generally dominate passers because of the speed of the ball. It provides an avenue where setters really aren't physical enough to consistently set the ball to an attacker uh, in the same spot for sure. It provides an avenue for attackers who generally aren't that physical to really not be able to jump up and spike the ball down uh, from above the net uh, to a trajectory on the floor. And so there's a lot of things that competition, when you play at a young age, you really don't execute the game at the same level. And uh, I think one of the things that, that, and you've heard me talk a lot about in pad co- podcast about training, but one of the things I want to talk about is I want to talk about, you know, maybe how we look at the very basic stages of training players and how we look at we're gonna, how we're going to train players and basically how we're going to acquire skill. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, struck me and I just saw a, a quote not too long ago, it was by Gino Ariyama, who is the UConn women's uh, basketball coach. He's won 11 Division I national championships. And he was talking about his kids who played AAU basketball. And he was talking about the 1-6 model. He said, in Europe, you have one day of tournaments for every six days of practice. And he said he, his AAU team that he was coaching, I think his sons or his daughters were on the team. He said he, he agreed to coach an AAU team. And they went to two days a week of practice. And some of the kids didn't want to practice. They just wanted to play. And so he called it the 1-6 versus the 6-1, where you play games all the time and you don't practice very much. And, you know, I've kind of delved into that in the past. But it's one of the things that um, I want to kind of address here with um, with what we're talking about in this first section of, of acquiring skill. And I think one of the things that I, I want everybody to think about is the first contact and the second contact in volleyball, let's call it the pass or the set, or you can call it the dig in the set, but the underhand and the overhand, those are singular skills in nature. And since the player can only contact the ball once, can't contact the ball two times in a row, the player can only pass the ball, and then that skill is finished. The player can only set the ball, and that skill is finished. But the player can't go from the first contact to the second contact. So it's a limited contact time. It's a limited total um, complexity of how we develop and prepare that skill. But those two skills are very singular in nature. And I think one of the things that um, – I would like to say about the, the, the pass or the set in volleyball, compare that to a basketball player. A basketball player has to dribble the ball. The basketball player has to try to get away from the defender. The basketball player has to face the basket, put up a shot. All of those sequences and all of those things go into taking a shot in basketball. If you're a baseball or softball player and you're an infielder, 
and you've got to field a ground ball, and you've got to catch the ball, you've got to throw it to first base or second base or third place or home plate. Think about all the movements and all the different moving parts that go into fielding that ground ball or fielding a fly ball uh, that take, because once you field, you have to throw. In volleyball, once you pass, you're done, or once you set, you're done with that contact. And so uh, I'm going to lead this into when when we start talking about training as well. And I think one of the things that you see is there's a lot more room at the early stages for what we would call rote repetition training uh, in underhand and overhand skills than there are in those other sports. Like you take a quarterback in football, they've got to take the snap from the center, they've got to drop back, uh, three-step, five-step, seven-step, whatever. They've got to throw to a receiver who's trying to get away from a defensive player. So all the different things that those positions go through as opposed to a young volleyball player. And, and again, let's get back to the point that we're talking about, just the introduction of skill. A young volleyball player passing a ball underhand or setting a ball overhand. And I think that's one of the things I'd like everybody to think about. Because once that ball is passed, dug, or set, uh, the player the, the, that contact point is done. Now, you might pass and hit, but there's going to be a second contact in between. So I think that's one of the things that uh, I want to try to emphasize. But uh, let's differentiate between, you know, that singular skill, you know, from the very beginning versus these other skills where players have to master multiple movements. And uh, I also want to talk about, let's talk about the skill of serving. And I think first with serving, you, you want to teach the proper technique. And to me, these skills are all based on having proper technical basis taught to them at the very beginning uh, before you go into repetitive training. But let's take the, let's take the uh, skill of serving because it reminds me a lot of the free throw in basketball. Uh, you know, you start, you hold the ball, you're in a stationary position, you have minimal footwork, you have minimal movement of your body, and you just have to serve the ball over a net that sits there at the same height all the time. And so if I take the skill of serving, all right, if I take the skill of serving and I say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these young kids and I'm going to have a piece of tape on the wall that's about seven feet, five inches. So it's a little higher than a 12 and under net and it's a little higher than a regular net, uh, but there's a little bit of room there for air. And I'm going to teach my players proper serving technique Then I'm going to put them away from the wall an equal distance that's that allows them and their strength at that point in time and their technique at that point in time to serve the ball above that seven foot five inch line okay that's what I'm going to start with and then once the player has gotten that let's say we start at 10 feet once the player has started to master that the minute we start to see a certain level of mastery we start to move back and once we start to move back we still have that net at the same height we have the ball going as far as I can serve the ball consistently until I'm back more than nine meters because the end of the court to the net is nine meters. So once I get back past nine meters, I'm able to serve the ball over the net. And again, if, the, if, you're, if your line on the wall or your tape line on the wall is 7'5", and you play on a 7-foot net because you're playing in the 12, you play on a 7'4", an 8th net because you're playing in the 14s or 16s or 18s, you're consistently serving the ball over the top of the net. And to me, the serving, teaching serving, and the reason that I use this specific instance is because the ball comes back to you, you're able to continually focus on your technique, the wall gives you the ball back, and you get to do your work in a, in a fairly quick, shortened period of time 
because if you think about going into a gym and serving one or two or three or five, let's say you however many balls you have, maybe you have a lot of balls, maybe you just have one ball. And if you have that one ball and it keeps coming back to you, then you've get to get your, and, and I call this technical work. You get to get your technical reps in where you're forming um, muscle memory and your, and your brain is processing, you know, how to continue to repeat the skill over and over again. You get to do it in a pretty pretty quick period of time it doesn't going to take it's not going to take you ever because every time you serve you don't have to run down and get the ball and serve it back and you know because we know that for young players the ball is dead far more than it's alive so one of the keys as a coach or a teacher of young kids is how do you keep players busy with the ball as much as possible and how do you minimize the dead time because the only thing the dead time does is extend the amount of time that you have to train to get the same number of reps because you need you need a finite amount of reps to start to develop a mastery of any skill. And then how do we get those reps at a young age f- fairly quickly so once we master the underhand skill, once we master the overhand skills, we can kind of start playing the game. I mean, the ball can go over the net because if you can control the first two contacts, and maybe you're not physical enough to hit yet, but if you can pass and set, you start to do a lot of things on the court that start to give you, you know, start to give you um, a sense of, you know, how the court's set up, how the game is played, how to start reading. I mean, there's all these things that you do once the ball can start crossing the net and once you can start touching the ball multiple times. And I think this single skill focus on serving is, it's similar to what the free throw shooting specialist is doing. They're just doing one thing over and over again. And by doing that one thing over and over again, this guy became the best in the world, even though he wasn't a great basketball player by any means, but he could perform one of the skills in the sport of basketball better than anybody in the world, better than any NBA player, better than anybody. So, you know, this skill that he went after and tried to perfect, he mastered it basically through rote training. And obviously, you know, mechanics are important. Technique is important. I'm not discounting any of those areas, but the one thing he did was he practiced this one skill. And I think that one of the things we should look at as club directors and teachers is when kids are young you know how do we as quickly as possible get kids to be functional in the first two contacts of underhand and overhand I'm going to talk a little bit about spiking a little bit later but how do we get kids to be functional in those areas as soon as possible now I think you can take a similar approach with serving that you took with I think you can take what I'm saying is I think you can take a similar approach with underhand and overhand that you do with serving you know, those are single contact skills. And once the ball's contacted, the players are done. And I think we can argue that footwork to the ball is the most important element of teaching, and I won't argue that at all. Uh, really important for these two young skills. But once the player gets to the ball, a single contact has to be mastered, either with the forearms for underhand passing or the hands with overhand passing. And, you know, those two skills, those two contacts, primarily, you know, that's where you can spend a great amount of time. And, and I'll talk a little bit later about how you break up how you break up the training, but I think those two things are important. And I think the more, clearly the more times a younger player can touch the ball with correct technique, the sooner that player is going to start to develop and master control of the ball. And, you know, again, this goes back to reading skills and posture with the ball, a lot of areas that just make you better. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about continually trying to increase the level of difficulty. You've heard me say that probably too many times in the podcast I do. But that's basically just keeping your players in a constant state of struggle out of their comfort zones. That's kind of what you're looking at. You're looking at that constant state of struggle away from your comfort zone. And I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges for coaches. There's a tendency that if a team's playing well or a player's doing well to kind of keep everything on cruise control because things are going well. Or if things are going poorly, 
you know, let's say look, you've got a player that's struggling or the team is struggling, sometimes you'll dial it back and you'll focus on helping the player or players when other players might need to be challenged more because they need to continue to be uncomfortable and stay in uncomfortable situations. So I think that's one of the things to think about is how do you continually keep your players in that constant zone where they're struggling, that constant area of struggle. And I think it's it goes with the foundation skills as well. And, you know, high-level players, a lot of times struggle involves, you know, things being done hard, you know, there's some discomfort involved. I don't think that's the case with young players, but I think one of the things that you look at is that, you know, let's say you're serving, you keep backing away further from the wall, so you continue to try to have more success from a further distance. I think the same thing can go for underhand and overhand skills. Let's say you're using the wall or a partner or a coach, you know, you either increase the number of reps to be done, or you increase the number of reps to be done in a row, or you increase the location of the ball. The ball's got to be passed to a certain area or set to a certain area. There's always things you can do to make the execution of skill more difficult. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that challenges, especially young Young players to try to hone and perfect their skills is just asking them to be more precise. It's not difficulty as far as physical difficulty, but it's just the ability to execute. And you know, you always have them on the edge where they're putting themselves in a position where they're trying to do things at a at a at a more higher level or more consistent level or, or a more precise level. And that's one of the things that you're always asking for. And I think that's one of the key things. And uh, again, it might be in the form of more reps during a given time. It might be more consecutive reps in a given exercise. Or again, again, just trying to give those players a higher level of difficulty. So I think one of the things that, and again, I'm not going to go into specific drills, but I think with serving, passing, and setting, if you think about how you can maximize the contacts um, in a short period of time, so players develop this uh, develop this ability to have some kind of control of the ball. And, and I'll go back to, if any of you guys, men or women, you know, I'll, I'll use, when I was a young boy, I would go out and play catch with my, my dad in the yard, you know, and we might go out there and play catch for 10 or 15 minutes. But if we would have gone out there and played catch 10 or 15 minutes every hour, six, eight hours a day, you know, I can't imagine how fast I would have progressed through the stage of, and I'll talk a little bit about intervals of work. I can't imagine how fast I would have progressed through the stage of being able to of pitch and catch, just throw and catch the ball. Those are two skills that would have been, you know, I would have mastered at a much earlier age, just based on doing it the right way, but also having more reps and more time. So I think that's one of the things that you look at. I want to talk a little bit about the skill of attacking because I think attacking is different. It's different than either the underhand skill or the overhand skill or the serving. And it requires a much more coordinated effort of complex movements. And to me, after coaching for over 40 years, and the skill of attacking to me, and I'll, I'll, this is kind of sums it up, is performing a throwing motion in the air after a multi-step running and jumping effort where the feet and arms are coordinated together to achieve a maximum jump height to contact the ball at the highest possible point above the top of the net. And so I think with attacking, one of the things that you look at you know, is just while the arm swing, we talk a lot about arm swing, the arm mechanics are so important to spiking because they basically they basically dictate how you're going to hit the ball. And the one thing that um, you know I've I firmly believe in is I've never seen somebody who's a good thrower who doesn't have the ability at least to take a good swing at the ball. And so throwing mechanics or the ability to throw kids who have thrown when they're young clearly have 
you know, this allows them, I think, a lot of potential for spiking. And to me, I just, it doesn't mean that they're going to be jumping out of the gym and crushing the ball every time, but they generally have good rotational spiking mechanics because the throw is a lot like the spike. And kids who have no throwing background at all, you know, if I, we've, we've, I've coached kids who they were great soccer players, maybe they were great basketball players, they've had no throwing skills. Sometimes they have great feet, but they have bad arms. And so one of the things that, that, you'll see is you'll see that the mechanics of throwing those are you know that's because that's the termination of the spike so that to me that's a separate topic but I want to stay on this on this idea of attacking but I think the thing that you want to think about when you when you talk about spiking is with all that said about the throwing motion I want to talk about the feet because it's the feet that take the attacker to the ball it's the legs that coordinate with the upper body to jump on the approach takeoff. And the first thing I like to do when teaching attacking is I like to teach the takeoff phase, when the arms have to be coordinated with the legs to achieve a smooth takeoff. And once the takeoff's been mastered, you know, the arms are thrown back and down. As the arms are thrown back, as the feet are being planted, as the arms come through and lift up, the legs come up off the ground. This liftoff and coordination between arms and legs, and as the arms come up, you know, the, the spiking arm has a tendency as it comes up to start to be drawn back to attack, and the non-spiking arm is lifted up high to try to reach maximum elevation. And so if you're going to, if you're talking about teaching spiking, spiking is different an underhand or overhand because it's a complicated skill. It's much more along the lines of the basketball player coming down court, have to coordinate dribble and, you know, a cut or a shot, uh, or more like uh, the quarterback's got to take the snap, roll out, drop back, throw to the receiver. There's a lot of complicated movement in the attack, and that's why, in general, the attack takes so long to master. I mean, you see kids at, at young levels that have great underhand and overhand skills. They have great serves. I mean, you can, be, you can actually be a great server, and never and not play a lick of volleyball in any other way because if you go back and just practice the serve nonstop all the time, you can be you can go back and serve a great ball consistently. You might not be able to do anything else, but you can serve. Spiking is not that way. Spiking requires so much coordinated effort in so many areas. So I think that's one of the things that that when you start teaching spiking, make sure the takeoff phase is in is in a good is a good form. And the one of the things that you generally see, and one of the things I see a lot, is young players have a tendency as they take the approach and go into the spike. The arms are all over the place. The arms might be crossing in front. They might look like they're getting ready to to perform a cheerleading move. They might look like you know the arms are going the wrong way from the legs. The most important thing is that the arms are just quiet and natural until you start to step into that takeoff and then they're thrown back and they're pulled through at a very fast rate to prepare to spike. A lot of young players will put the arms ahead early and then they try to throw them back as you foot plant and it forces them, a lot of times they're going to be goofy footed, they'll have backwards footwork because the arms and the legs aren't coordinated together. So the first thing you want to do with young spikers is teach the takeoff. If it's their right-handed, teach the right-left coordination. If they're left-handed, teach the left-right coordination. And, you know, after that, you know, teach them to run and jump and throw. Forget about a lot of times young players are very intimidated by a net because they don't have good motor skills yet. They don't have good spiking technique yet. But if you can teach a young player to run and jump and throw or run and jump and swing their arm, and then there's a lot of different footwork. There's a four-step approach. There's a three-step approach. There's sometimes there's a two-step approach from the middle who you know, goes from block to attack really quickly if a ball's dug up and gets right back to the center and the middle tries to get up in the air. And sometimes it's just a two-step transition. So the one thing that all attackers should do, and I'm going to suggest that young attackers 
the first thing you, young attackers do is they learn how to take long approaches. They learn how to run from the end of the court to the net and jump right, left, or left, right. Forget about four-step. Forget about three-step. Forget about teaching them to stand five feet away from the net and so they can time the ball better. Get young attackers where they're running and jumping, where they're simulating passing and swinging outside, or they're, you know, they're coming from the end of the court, you know, and they jump at the 10-foot line like they're back row attackers. It doesn't matter if they're going to attack back row or not. But one of the things that you want young players to be able to do is to be comfortable anywhere on the court running and jumping. Because think about, let's take the left side hitting position. You come underneath and cover a tip. You have to swing all the way outside to hit on the left side. That's not two steps. That's not three steps. That might be five or six steps. Or let's say, you know, you're passing deep and somebody serves you deep. You got to swing out and hit on the left side. That's not two or three steps. That might be four or five or six steps. So the one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to create a motor pattern that has to be corrected or broken later. The first thing you want to do is you want to be, you want to, your jump and your takeoff should always be the same. That's something that's consistent. The footwork that you use is going to be multidimensional. It's going to be inside out, outside in. It's going to be off the net to the net. It's going to be uh, at the net, get back in transition. It's going to be cover tip and come outside and swing. It's going to be, you know, get block, pull off, hit again, get block, pull off, hit again, maybe two steps, maybe three steps. So when you train young players, emphasize that they go through the spiking footwork in a lot of different ways. Let them do things a lot of different ways. And that's when as players get older, you're going to introduce the ball. They'll dig and hit. They'll pass and hit. But at a younger level, the takeoff becomes the most important thing. Coordinate the takeoff so the arms have unnecessary movement. So they go back and they come forward. As they come forward, if you're right-handed, the right arm is drawn back at shoulder level. The left arm goes up high. That begins the arm swing technique. That begins the arm swings mechanic. So I think that's one of the things that you look at. And I think that the sooner that players learn to do that, the more comfortable they get to become. Because attacking is ultimately going to be the skill unless you're a setter or a Libro, that will determine if you can stay on the court or not. I mean, you can be a great passer and a defender, but if you can't hit your body weight, you're not going to be on the court very long. And you can be a great middle blocker, but unless you're scoring two or three points a game blocking, you have to at least have some attacking skills. So I think that's one of the key things. So I, I think those are things that if you start with young players, think about the skills where you the rote training or the rote repetition training early on allows you to lay a deeper foundation uh, so the kids can start to master skills. And it's no, it's no different, and I, was, I know some people are probably rolling their eyes at this, but it's no different than when I'm a little kid and I get a basketball and I've got a five-foot hoop and I've got a basketball and I start shooting at that hoop and all I do is shoot at the hoop every day. I'm going to get better at shooting at that hoop every day. Then the basketball, the basketball rim gets moved up. I keep shooting, I keep shooting, I keep shooting. I'm not playing basketball games. I'm not doing anything else. I'm just shooting. The more I shoot, the better I get at shooting, okay? And it's, it's like anything else in, in when you do, as far as in movements, anything else you do, you're going to become competent at it. And to me, this concept of being able to, and, and serving, serving to me is easy. Serving is easy. And even though to me at the young level, serving is not important because, and I've, I think I talked to you about this in the, in the podcast about Brazil, the Brazilians until they're 15 serve underhand because then everybody gets to pass that hit in rallies. I think that's way more important. But the mechanics of serving, the skill of serving, is a lot like the basketball free throw. You can stand back there on that line, and you can become a great server with virtually no athletic ability. You don't have to move. You don't have to do anything else. You just have to serve. And then from there, you can serve your locations. But that skill of serving, to me, is something that people can master 
at a pretty young age. And then you add jump serve and things like that later. I understand all that. I'm not, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is that the ability to dominate with a serve when you're 12 or 13 years old, you know, even in your own gym, doesn't do anybody much good because if people can't pass that serve just because generally the serving is way ahead of the passing at the younger level, if people can't pass that serve, then you know it's it's just going to take time for them to catch up. But you know the three basic skills: serve, pass, set, can be grouped together in your teaching model. So I think you can see a, a great acceleration in the in the growth of those skills if you look at how you're going to perform those skills. You know what are my teaching cues? That's the first thing. What are my teaching cues? And they're going to be very basic. But think about underhand pass. You just move your feet and pass. That's it. You don't do anything else. It's not, it's not complicated. It's just, and again, when kids are young, they don't have to move very far because nobody's going to move that far. Your hand-eye coordination is not going to be the same. But you've got the wall. You've got a partner. You've got a coach. You've got all these ways. Then how do you give these kids, you know, good quality reps and probably a lot more reps than you thought you could give them if you think about how you're going to manage the workload, okay? Same thing with setting, okay? How, and generally, young kids, when they're taught to set, they catch and set. And I would encourage every coach when kids are young, let them catch and set the ball don't let them poke at the ball don't you know don't let let their hands get really disformed just put yourself in a position where your hands are around the ball comes in you you soft set the ball or you catch the ball and set it again that starts to form your hands in a good manner as you get stronger the ball comes out faster but these are things that you can teach in a really efficient way at a young age you get lots and lots of repetition in a short period of time kids are going to be able to handle the ball and again Take the principles that you continue to increase the level of struggle and difficulty along the way. And again, with younger kids, it's not physical struggle. It may be say, let's, you know, let's get five out of 10. Let's get six out of 10. That will be challenges to them. They're going to want to get better at that. They're going to want to go home and practice those things. But you're trying to lay the foundation because, you know, one of the things that we that we've become a lot of in our sport is we're very specialized. We have middles who have never served or played back row in their whole life. You know, we've got, we've got middles who have never hit a high ball. They can't hit it out of the back row when everybody should learn to hit high first. Hit high first, then you can always hit quick when you get more advanced. But we have a lot of middles who have never hit a high ball. And so they're not accomplished spikers. They just hit quick. And so it's much better to be an accomplished spiker. And then you can speed up from there because you have a lot more range with your shots. You have a lot better hand contact on the ball. But that's, again, we'll talk about that later. But I think that's one of the key things to think about. So, um, you know, and I think that the, the next thing is, is the sooner a player learns how to pass and set, the sooner a player can incorporate those skills in some kind of gameplay in your gym. Maybe it's two on two. Maybe it's, you know, it's two versus two, two contact over the net, half court, third court, whatever. Uh, but it begins to lead to a training model. And I, I talked at the beginning about teaching first. We're going to teach the fundamental techniques. We're going to teach those fundamental techniques through through rote training where they're going to get lots of contact. So you, at least you kind of master that. And you, you see this in baseball because at a younger level, they have t-ball. T-ball Nobody has the ability to hit a pitch ball. So they put a ball on a tee and the kids just swing at it. And then they start performing the other skills in volleyball. But basically in tee ball, everybody can hit. You know, it's a little bit like serving underhand in the 14s in Brazil. Everybody's going to pass. There's going to be not be many service aces, but they're really not worried about service aces. What they're worried more about is pass, set, hit because you're teaching the game. And this, this podcast is about the same guidelines that, that the Brazilians are using in a, in a different way. You want to put your players in a position where they master these first two contact skills, you know, at a pretty high level at an early age because you can't hit 
you can't hit two or 300 balls in, in a practice when you're young, but you can certainly pass and set two or 300 balls easily in a practice when you're young. So I think that's one of the things. And so, but I'll, uh, this, this training model, which is what we're going to get into in, in the next podcast when I start talking about training, because this is about how we teach. The next thing we're going to do is talk about how we, how we train. And then the last thing I want to leave you with is when you think about training skills, like a first contact skill or a second contact skill, Think about working in small time frames repeatedly over and over again. So instead of doing 30 minutes of underhand, maybe do 8 to 10 minutes of underhand. And then go on and do 8 to 10 minutes of overhand. And then go do 8 to 10 minutes of serving. And then maybe go do your 8 to 10 minutes of you know approach and throw or things like that with your attacking. And then come back and do maybe 5 more minutes of underhand and 5 more minutes of overhand. Because if you break this model up into sm- shorter periods of time, you're going to get better learning. You're going to have better learning when you have you know uh, short work periods, and then you have some rest from that. So there's pro- there's a process going on, and you go into, because if you get into long periods of time, especially with young players, you're going to lose focus. There's, you're going to lose concentration level. But if you go on and do other things, and maybe you, you, you do underhand on the wall in the first 10 minutes, you come back the second time and you do underhand with a coach tossing. But so you're still doing the same thing, but you're doing it in a different way, in a different manner. And so the, the goal is the same, just the way you're going to get to that goal is a little bit different. So I think that's one of the things that's important as well. So, um, you know, I think next time we're going to get into, I want to get into practices and how we, what the training concepts are. And again, the systematic development of skill that leads to, you know, how we're going to play the game. I want to try to get into that. But until then, I want to hope everybody has the best, great time. And I want to wish everybody the very best. Thank you.